0: Hi, I'm Christopher Ward, and this is Famous Lost Words, a deep dive into the interview archives. Joining me as always, my co-host and the creator of the show, Tom Jokic. Tom the creator.
1: Hi there, Christopher. (laughs) So today we've got another great show. As usual, we highlight some great interviews from our archives. Uh, going back many many years, and we're going to start with a 1984 interview with Steve Perry. Now, this is really interesting. This is right around the time of his uh, the release of his album Street Talk. He's going solo, and boy, oh boy, there were some bad feelings between him and the guys from Journey about this album. Just like
0: imagine that oh. animosity between a lead singer and the band. <laughs> right, just like first few, time ever, right?
1: Just like the other day when we did the uh, the Lou Graham interview. You yeah. know, the the guys from Foreigner were not. At all kind when he decided to step out on his own, they were not at all kind when they heard the results. And it was, and it got even worse when that solo album became successful. This is a bit of a similar story here, but you got to hear Steve Perry's take on it and the importance of him making that album. It's a sensational interview, and it's just a matter of seconds away when we uh, yeah, when we it's play that. it's
0: really really cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, they attack on the music front. But I think what it's all about is that it goes contrary to their interests. Right. Business-wise. For sure. I mean, what's on there musically, I'm sure they'd be happy with, ultimately. Exactly. And we've also got a Brian Adams chat
1: from 1985. Now, Brian Adams was really doing well at this point. But boy, you just imagine that 1985, it was still six years until he hit it really big with Mm -hmm. uh, Waking Up the Neighbors and Everything I Do, I Do It For You, and that whole run that he had in the early 90s, which was incredible. He became... A total worldwide phenomenon, even bigger than he was in '85. And in '85, there was nothing. It was nothing to sneeze at. It was all oh, often. I mean, Reckless was yeah.
0: such a career peak.
1: Absolutely. Also, cool song facts, Christopher. You're going to help me out with this. We've oh, got. A, it's the Lads. That's right. It's the Beatles edition of Cool Song <laughs> Facts. We've got a great Paul McCartney clip talking about one of the biggest songs they ever made, maybe the biggest. A lot of facts. Some of them you probably know, but I guarantee there's a few that you don't know. Well, that's, those are the ones we're going to make up. Sure, yeah, sure. Did you know, for example, that Ringo had a plastic pinky finger? I just made that up. Anyway, sorry, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you totally had me. I'm going, what? I just literally just made it up. <laughs> I like to sit in front of the
0: telly and go bang, bang <laughs> on my pinky finger, you
1: know. Anyway, and in our last segment, it's a it's a brief couple of uh, segments that you did with Carl Wilson of the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. Now, Carl Wilson isn't one of those A players in the, in the history of rock and roll. But boy, oh boy, what he had to say here was both really interesting and... And really sad. and it also is even sadder in light of the fact that he died at a very young age. I think he died at the age of 51. Yeah. and he was a, you know he looked great in this in the video that you sent me yesterday that the, where I watched the clips. And he also had a lot of great things to say. and even though only there's only about one or two minutes worth of uh, material that we're going to play for you, it's excellent stuff. So stay tuned for that. That's in our last segment. Yeah you bet.
2: You should have been gone
3: No how I Made you feel that I should have been
1: gone After all your
2: words of steel
1: All right, so let's go back to 1984, and it's Steve Perry's. And his, band, his bandmates from Journey didn't seem to be impressed with his solo album Street Talk. Here's Steve Perry in conversation with the
4: late Larry Wilson. Steve, one of your guys in Journey um, described your LP in two words.
3: Where did you hear this?
4: I don't mean to be difficult, but it's been written somewhere that uh, somebody in your band, unnamed, said, It sucks. I don't happen to agree, and I'm sure you don't.
3: Well, um... Well, I I got turned around to It sucks, but I I don't know exactly what the words were anymore. I I really didn't want to mention who it was. Uh, It just, it's, you know, it's a little annoying when everybody else does their projects, and it was... um, I was very glad for everybody to do their projects. Um... There was a couple done by uh, uh, Steve Smith, a couple done by Neil, and Jonathan's been doing his projects with his wife.
4: Really? So you should get the same amount of respect, right?
3: Well, I mean, I hadn't I hadn't done any ever. I, I thought I'd be the last one to go out and do something, I because I was a very team player. Mm-hmm. And when I decided to do one, um, I did, at least I didn't think I would get bad reviews, at least it's a little bit better than that, but that's okay. I mean, from the guys' reviews, you know.
4: Right, from within your own group.
3: I, I don't mind. I'm, that's all right.
4: Is Journey still a viable uh, uh, product for you?
3: I think so. Yeah. You never know. I mean, we're all we're all just sort of in separate places right now. Yeah. And um, I guess that we're going to get together and do some talking here pretty quick.
4: Have did you work out your frustrations? Have you got it to? Do you feel this Street Talk album has come out showing a side of you that you want to show that way?
3: Yeah, I'm pleased with the album. I'm I really am pleased at what I did. I set out to, to really uh, really vent some frustrations. I You don't know how good it feels to to see it become
4: successful. In doing this LP and all it meant to you artistically, did it have some, um, uh, let's say, spin-off to your personal life?
3: It didn't change anything except that maybe it changed my, my inner person a feeling better about myself. Yeah. I think that would probably be it. As far as... As far as a, the old pocketbook or anything, I was I financed the album myself. I didn't even wait for the record label to come up with the money. I just wanted to go down to L. A. and do it. So I just put a lot of coin into it myself because the record deal wasn't coming close to being sold, and uh, my solo deal. I mean,
4: so you really went about this on speculation.
3: I went about it because I needed it. I needed it. It was probably the best therapy I could. I could have sat in a room probably for six months with a therapist if I to try to feel good about venting some creative frustrations, but nothing would have been better than doing this album.
1: All right, so there you go. Steve Steve Perry, Mm -hmm. really taking it from his bandmates. Um, but trying to take kind of the zen way out of it in terms of going, okay, well, the, those guys are just being the guys, and, um, and you know, I don't understand it. I was always fair to them. I always gave them their space. I'm the last guy in the band to do a solo project, and yet here they are, you know, uh, peeing all over me for doing that, well,
0: right? <laughs> well, Larry didn't pull any punches as the interviewer either, like right yeah. off the drop. Oh, and it's like, so apparently one of the guys said your record sucks. You know, that's one
1: of the things I noticed. Um that's That's a
0: dangerous tack Uh, for an interviewer.
1: Absolutely. And many of the uh, interviews uh, were done uh, here. You know, not everybody listening knows where we're we're located. But um, many of the interviews were done here in the Chum FM studios in Toronto. And one of the things I noticed is, boy, there's two or three of the guys that worked here who did not... Back away at all, hitting the subject hard with controversy right off the bat. Like if I'm going, if you are going to interview someone and you know there's a controversy you need to address, you usually wait a few minutes, right? Well, yeah, because and, if they're going to walk away, I want to at least get part of an interview. You know? That's right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You can you don't want them to get up and leave. But these guys, um, and Larry was a, Larry was part newsman, right. and part entertainment reporter. So like, he had
0: more of an edge, saying,
1: and and he did, and he, but he was a hard news guy, but he also had a great. Like great way about him, mm-hmm. so I can see how sometimes he can just interview guys and they'll they'll kind of take it from him. I don't know there was something about it, but but he hit them hard right off the bat with uh, with his questions sometimes. But you know you can see that uh, with Steve Perry, it was it was a necessity for him to be able to do that album, or mm. you know in his own words that he would have gone crazy
0: and he needed to do it. It was therapy for him. Well, he's not the first or the last artist to use their notebook and use their guitars and use their Studio as a, a source of therapy and can consolation in life. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why you start out writing.
1: Absolutely, you're trying
0: to express private thoughts that you're not comfortable putting out there for other
1: people to hear. How many artists have you heard say that if I that that music saved their life? If I, it wasn't for music, I'd probably be dead. You know, any of Vedder. them. Right. I, I remember Eddie Vedder saying it specifically, and mm-hmm. so many other artists. But back to Steve Perry. So Steve, you know, there's been a lot of history since that uh, that interview was done. I, he he had done a a, a second solo album. He worked off and on with Journey over the years, but but more off than on. And he's been away from the band forever. Uh, there were some health issues that he had. He was dealing with the uh, the health. Uh, I think of his mother or grandmother that took him away from the band for a while. They they weren't happy about that because it, uh, it postponed something that they were working on. Then he had some hip problems, and the band the band didn't want to wait for him because he actually put the band on hold for over a year to work on his hip problems. Wow, getting and old. Saying, sucks, doesn't there it? <laughs> and but this was this was not this was still like 20 years ago so the fact is, it took so long for them to get going again that they decided to move on without him. They went with a lead singer who didn't work out, and then they found Arnell, the, the current guy, who mm-hmm. I believe is from the Philippines, and he's done wonders with the band and is very popular. was a and,
0: killer um, vocalist.
1: Yes, and of course, when Journey was uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he gives the new guy, Arnell a shout-out, and it was a really classy move.
3: I must give a complete shout-out to someone who sings his heart out every night. And that's Arnell Pineda. Where are you, Arnell?
1: Very classy, but he saves the most praise for his former bandmates.
3: Ainsley Dunbar, Greg Rowland, Steve Smith, Neil Sean, Jonathan Kane, Ross Failure. Are you f-ing sh-ing me Any singer would give his a- for that sh-. I mean they play so well. So Guys, I thank you so much for all the music we've written and recorded together. It will be forever in my heart. Thank you.
0: I love that speech. Me too. Because, as you said in the setup, you can hear the emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember when I interviewed George Harrison about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he said, you know, it didn't really mean anything to me until we got there. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, there were the lads and there were some people and all these people we knew. And he said, suddenly I got a sense of why it was important. And you can hear it in Steve's voice. He is overwhelmed by the moment. And I love how he turns the spotlight on his band members, Mm -hmm. starting with guitarist Neil Sean. He just says, this is the reason why Journey existed is because of this guy's fantastic playing. That may or may not be, true in the eyes of the fans Mm -hmm. but i think the fact that he said it just shows you what a class act he is
1: didn't you when you saw the video and when you heard his speech when he was walking up there i wasn't sure what he was going to say because there's been a lot of bad feelings between them
0: and A lot of he, water,
1: many bridges. That's right. And boy, he really let bygones be bygones. And you could see at times when when he started speaking, I think that the guys had no idea what he was going to say. Mm. Was he going to be completely gracious? And he wasn't 100% gracious. He was 1,000% gracious. Yeah. He, he There was not one iota of bitterness in anything he said and it was all shining a light on his bandmates and it was so classy and it was it was really uh, i found it very moving that that he did that rare yeah for
0: sure famous lost words is brought to you by alarm force managing your home is a lot of work but securing it doesn't have to be let the professionals at alarm force take home security off your to-do list with Alarm Force, you can rely on professional installation, dependable products, and industry leading customer service. They provide protection for burglary, fire, and flood with a suite of smart home products like door locks, lighting, and thermostat, all controlled from anywhere in the world with the Alarm Force mobile app. No charge for installation with packages starting from only $29.99. Call 1 800 267 2001 or learn more at alarmforce.com. Welcome back to Famous Lost Words. My co host is the creator of the show, Mr. Tom Jokic. It's a deep dive into the interview archives. Well, quite a deep dive, over 30 years to Brian Adams' early success with the album Reckless. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's fun listening to him because he's still the same guy all these years yeah, later. Yeah, and he looks
1: like the same there's guy. There's a bit of
0: a kid in him, yeah. there's a really funky, feisty personality. Oh, yeah, that he's I, a real. I love Yes. He's like a true Canadian. Sure. And, um,. He he just, uh, he takes all of his success in stride is how it seems. Yes. And yet no shortage of ferocity and ambition that got him there. That's
1: true. And I've been in a situation where uh, Brian was doing an interview that I was part of where I, I wasn't the interviewer, but I was there. And it went totally, completely off the rails. Like it was one of the ugliest things I had ever been part of. Wow. Yeah. One of the worst interviews Of all time. What happened? And then, ah. Come on, you've gone this far. One day, little little taste. One day we will. we will talk about it in more detail, mm. uh, because quite frankly, I have to gather my thoughts before I uh, before I tell you all the story, okay. the whole story behind that story. Um, but it was very interesting, and um, um, yeah, I think that sometimes some artists can be in a frame of mind where they just don't want to be, um, where they don't want to answer certain questions, and um, and if you ask them those questions, they they turn off immediately, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure you've had situations like that.
2: You um, have to
0: have a sense of that. I mean, sometimes the the, the label will lay down ground rules they'll say okay do not go here Mm -hmm. or go here at your peril that's right say that's right but it's also up to you to be aware of you know what the context is what's Mm -hmm. been going on in that person's life and their career you know what they're wanting to talk about, and right. your your job is to create a bridge between the artist and the audience. I yes, think. this was almost like
1: a, a after the aftermath of this interview was almost like a bank robbery that had gone bad, like bodies everywhere, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: I've you also got me been, really curious
1: about uh, this. One. This is a uh, tease. Well, you know what I might do is I might bring the person in who did the interview, but that person has enough class to not throw. Brian under the uh, under the bus as much as I have already, but I also need to say that a few months later we also interviewed Brian and he was sensational, mm-hmm. like very generous, very giving. So so you know it's it's really fascinating if you can catch, when you catch someone on a bad day what happens and it can go south in a hurry and in that
0: case it did. Well, I, I've only had a couple of encounters with Brian and they've yeah. both been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I was sitting in an airport. And it was in 1990, and he came racing by, and he spotted me, and he sort of put on the the brakes, came back and went, Christopher, congratulations, man. It was like after the success of Black Velvet. That's fantastic, fantastic. Okay, got to (laughs) go. Like the roadrunner through the airport. But he was so sweet. Yes. And the other time was I asked him to do an interview for the um, the book about much music that I put out called Is This Live? Right. And he did a wonderful interview, and he was very uh, self-deprecating and had just, you know... A very very funny perspective on his career as a video artist. Yes, for sure. Are you talking about this book, which I'm holding up
1: to the microphone right yeah. now? Called "Is This Live Inside the Wild Early Years of Much Music, the Nation's Music Station?" Is yeah, that, is that, that the book you're talking about? Yeah, that's about? the one. <laughs> you know, honestly, <laughs> available in fine bookstores everywhere. Every one? time, every time <laughs> we do an uh, an episode of this, every time we, uh, uh, you know, we get together. I have this book. This is like me carrying. This is like a Christian carrying the Bible around right now. Oh, okay. Oh, you're too kind. Because uh, I use it for reference, and it's a it's a terrific book. And um, a and a lot of the information uh, that you and I are talking about are uh, a lot of the the facts are inspired by this book. So Thank there you,
0: you go, Tom. Yeah. Thank you. Um. Okay. Adams. Brian Adams. So back to 1985. Go. Mm-hmm. I guess the first question right out of the box is. Um, so you're pretty popular, Tom. <laughs> pretty popular, Brian. <laughs> oh, just let him hear it.
5: Brian Adams, you're a, a real success story right now, and I'm, I'm interested in knowing what what you would say some of the main ingredients are that caused this to come to be.
2: I think it's a combination of a lot of hard work and um, perseverance, really. Mostly just from Jim and I writing the songs and then bruce getting the tours together and and then all going out to make it all happen really and
0: he went on to talk about his love of being on stage and also and this is funny how lack of parental guidance helped his career
2: i can't find a much better place to go and play music than live so uh, it was really boring playing in the basement for all those years you know I mean?
5: <laughs> do you think that parental guidance maybe had uh, played a main role in the results of of your successful career
2: Parental guides had nothing to do with, uh, with m- my success, I'll tell you that, because, uh, <laughs> I mean, the last thing they wanted me to do was be in rock and roll, so, you know, it was sort of my own choice, and, and uh, luckily I was given the, the free reign to go out and do it and make it on my own, so, uh, you know, with the combination of, uh, like I say, the people that I, I mentioned before, the, their help, it's, it's all seemed, seemed to have worked out.
5: But would you say there's any main lesson that maybe your parents taught you, taught you that had a heavy influence on
2: your career? Well, they always strove for um us my brother and I to be individuals and, and um, you know, no matter what we did, whether we were going to be take a professional career or whatever um, or go to university, it was always you know a, a definite thing about being an individual and um, I, I like that because, uh, if anything, they, they they allowed me the freedom of that.
0: The interviewer was really digging about his sort of early days and upbringing
2: and, and what it all meant to him. Just be your own person and do what yeah. you, you're you interested in doing. Especially do. my mom, because, you know, she was the one that really allowed me to be involved in music, even though I wasn't making any money. Uh, and I was basically living off the, you know, living off her, you know. It was difficult to, in the beginning for us to really get a break, but, you know, it's like anything, you know, you have to... You have to wait and let, hopefully your, your car will be picked.
5: So therefore you really wouldn't maybe go so far as to say you had a strict childhood, but more
2: so a much freer upbringing? No, I had a very strict childhood. Um, the problem that I faced really more than anything else was just uh, making them believe in what I did, you know, just like any, any kid really. Um, my parents were very, especially my father, was very strict about, you know, what I did and, and uh, who I hung out with and... The, the you know, whole, where, where I went to school and you know all, the whole thing really I mean pretty normal. Yeah, but sometimes a bit too much because uh, he really uh, you know it was it's was funny because he comes from a different walk you know of life than than, than I do and I, I I should really say that I mean I should say more that he, his his uh, morals are a lot different than mine are so
5: because of this military aspect in yeah, his life.
2: You know, I mean, I'm not really a military man. I love that. I'm not really a military man. Oh, no yeah, kidding. No kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I love how he also owns his feisty personality. Because let's face it, you know, you've you got to be tough in the world of rock and roll, but it can get you a lot of cris- criticism if you kind of cross an invisible line. Um, but he sees it as a necessary ingredient to his success, I
2: think. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, I'm sort of a, you know, mouthy kind of guy anyway. You know, I've always been known to have pretty big mouth, and so... Uh, As a result, I sing, you know, and I get a lot of my frustrations out that way. But in the beginning, when I didn't have all that, you know, I found that people were saying, yeah, he's cocky and he's arrogant and, you know, he's got a big mouth and so, fine. But uh, being rebellious is sort of a a characteristic which, in my mind, has always been a thing which has sort of just been a strive for maybe... uh, Something individualism, you know, just to try and get your own individualist stamp on something you're doing. So it just takes time.
1: Still more to come on Famous Lost Words, including our chat with Brian Adams. Also, Phil Collins talks about his first massive solo hit from 1981. Don't forget, you can hear past episodes of Famous Lost Words on the iHeartRadio
0: app. So when you're doing an interview, it's it's one of those things that's really hard to hit on something that an artist hasn't already covered and sounds, you know, kind of like they're push-button answers. Right. But the interviewer in this case got lucky
2: and found a good one. Do
5: you consider yourself to be a pretty good guitarist, Brian? <laughs>
2: no one's ever asked me that before. Um, I think I'm an adequate guitar player. I think, uh, I think I've got good sort of chordal and, and uh, rhythmic ideas, you know what I mean? Um, I don't know, I could probably... Improvise from there. <laughs> no pun intended, but... I
5: think maybe a lot more of it's possibly
2: the energy level with you. <clears throat> well, I, I'm not, uh, an al or anything like that, but I, I think I can accompany myself very well with a guitar and it's a big part of what I do, so, uh, without the guitar I wouldn't have written in all those songs, so, that must say something. You mentioned
5: earlier about people wanting to know personal things about you, but uh, there is one personal thing I'd be interested in knowing and that's that, do you ever have any time for, for a special woman in your life?
2: Yeah, and, and, uh, Whenever we see each other That's nice. Who's Diana? Uh, Diana is, is the girl in the song, Diana. And uh, the story sort of can be... It can be about anybody, but it, it could also be about one certain person, too.
5: Is she for real? Does she exist?
2: Yeah, of course. However we want her to exist,
5: right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, Brian, tell me. <laughs> Was it a real girl in your life or maybe Jim's life or
2: what? It wasn't a girl in my life. You're not going to give, are you? (laughs) (laughs) wasn't a girl in my life because uh, I wouldn't have written a song about her otherwise. Why not? Because she's not in my life, is she? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Brian. Wow, that's great.
1: Brian Adams from 1985. Terrific interview and... uh, I'm yeah, a mouthy kind of guy. I, I know. I love that. I love that. And you really do get a sense of his personality. That he's got. You know, he's a, he's a bit of a feisty character. Um, there's part of it where you can kind of tell he doesn't really love interviews, and yet he's 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 kind of saying what he needs to say, but he's also saying what he wants to say at many uh, many points. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I'm having a ball doing this. Thank you so much for coming up with this idea and for having the stroke of genius to ask me to co-host with you.
1: Well, no kidding. And uh, we've, we've <laughs> talked about it before, but the first time you and I met, um, about two and a half years ago, we were at a party. And I met you and I, I knew you uh, you know, from your work on Much Music. Um, also, from a song that you recorded in the seventies called "Maybe Your Heart," which I actually really like. Oh, I'm a big fan of that song. Thank you. Yeah, and and so it was a bit of a thrill to meet you because we'd never met before. You didn't know who I was at all, um, but 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 you and I just meshed right away. We we got along really well, and because we're music geeks, we're just firing these facts at each other. Oh yeah, did you know this? And then, of course, we would just have a conversation about an artist, and then you'd say something just bizarre about the artist that oh my god I can't believe it so <laughs> it, was a, it was a real natural fit and then I realized that when I wanted to do this show and go back into the musical archives of all these great interviews with artists that we've had over the years that I needed a co-host and not only that actually I think of you more as the host and me as the co-host um, because I, I wanted someone to anchor the show and I wanted someone with, with a little bit of musical credibility and you have that you have that as an artist you have it as a songwriter and you have it as a, someone who's been part of a uh, of Canadian pop culture with your work at Much Music, and then you wrote a damn book too about <laughs> Much Music. So, so really, what Thank am you. I doing here?
0: Well, uh, I'll just leave. Well, you know, I I started my career in, in the entertainment business in a radio. I was going to, to Trent University by day right. and doing the All Night Show at CKBT in Peterborough. Right, which one suffered? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love radio so right. all these years later to be able to do this is, right. is fantastic and, yeah. and, and I can just keep getting older and uglier and no one will know yes it's beautiful isn't it
1: yes a, a radio show and a podcast so for those of you listening on the radio this is also a podcast for those of you who are listening to the podcast this is also on a radio station near you so we hope you enjoy it okay so let's keep going we've got cool song facts now this is me you know, promoting my... my uh, we've already promoted your book. Um, <laughs> now we're going to promote my Twitter page. But it, it really isn't... There's not much to promote. I, I don't make money off Twitter, right? But right. I've always been a, a song geek, a music geek. So uh, my Twitter handle is at CoolSongFacts. And so a lot of the information that we do in this segment is based on some of the research that I've done, but also some of the stuff that you've come up with because
0: today cool Song Facts is the Beatles edition. Um, well, we had a taste of it. On our first episode, when McCartney talked about uh, the original inspiration for uh, Eight Days a Week. That's right. From a chauffeur uh, who was driving into a writing session. That's right. Who was going, oh yeah, I'm I'm working eight days a week, and Paul Paul mimes writing down notes from that. So, a couple of cool song facts about the Beatles, or one of the Beatles. Um, Only three
1: artists uh, have sold 100 million albums as a solo artist, and 100 million as part of a group. Okay, so, you can guess, obviously... From the Beatles. McCartney. Rick McCartney. Okay. So, <laughs> no pressure, buddy. It's, it's on the script. I don't know why you don't oh, know okay. this. No, no. <laughs> It's okay. Don't look. Did you say script? Don't, don't look. Okay. So, it's someone who is obviously we very, have a very... Script? <laughs> <laughs> now it's, you're telling me? <laughs> it's, apparently not. If you're listening, you'll go, they don't have a script. Um, so, the other person is someone who was huge in the 80s. Maybe the biggest star in the 80s. Okay. Can you guess? Uh, Michael Jackson. Okay, so what's the the group? Jackson Jackson 5. Okay, so, and another artist was someone who was very big in the 80s and 90s and was in his band at the same time. Oh, Phil. That's right, so Phil and Genesis, okay? okay. So three artists have sold 100 million albums as a solo artist and 100 million as part of a group. So those three, Michael, Paul McCartney, and Phil Collins. Okay, back to the Beatles, though. First time Bob Dylan heard the Beatles' song, I want to hold your hand. He was he was traveling with a buddy on uh, uh, on a road trip in his car. He hears, I want to hold your hand. He tells the guy, pull over. What the hell was that? Did you hear that? That was great. So he's completely blown away by the Beatles for I want to hold your hand of all songs.
0: But I guess that song just flew out of the radio and affected everyone in a big way. Well, I think it broke them in the U.S. too. Mm-hmm. I mean, there'd been other singles before that, but they broke in Canada earlier, of course. I love, I still get chills when I hear that song. I mean, I I go back to being, you know, 13, but... Yes. Did you see them on Ed Sullivan? Oh, yeah.
1: So, how how can, how everybody of that era says they remember seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan? Like, was it just go-to television? Like, did everybody watch it anyway, and that's why everybody saw them? Like, how how did everybody happen to be watching that night?
0: It was an event. Mm -hmm. It was like the moon landing I mean, you knew that it was coming and you knew that it was going to be the most amazing thing you'd ever seen. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, we'd been listening to the Beatles talking about their music, so the anticipation level was incredible. Okay, other Beatles cool song facts, go. Well, I went to London last fall with my daughter, who's also a complete... Uh, Beetle maniac, which right. which is nice yes. for both of us, and we took the train to Liverpool. And she's how old? She's now twenty one. Okay, so we we took the train to Liverpool and we, uh, we took the tour that takes you around to the Beatle homes, and they are humble, right? And it's fantastic. The tour, of course, is called Magical the Magical Mystery, Mystery tour. tour. Okay, yeah, got it. It is. <laughs> but what's great is you've got a classic sort of bus driver. You got this this you know bus full of Beatles fans, and he's going, ladies and gentlemen, on your right. There's a shelter in the middle of a roundabout, uh, and that, of course, is where uh, the Pretty Miss was selling poppies from a tray. You know? (laughs) So it's literally, you're driving through the lyrics to Penny Lane. That's funny. And he tells you the street. And then the next stop is Strawberry Fields, and then on from there. Yeah. And that was... Pretty thrilling. Yeah. Okay, so we're
1: going to play Paul McCartney talking about the song Hey Jude. A couple things about that song, and one of them is that I read very recently, is that John Lennon actually thought that that song was written for him. And even after years and years of Paul McCartney saying who it was really written for, Lennon really did think it was about him because he said it was Paul's way of asking him to stay with the group, but also... That he had his blessing to be with Yoko, it's weird. I'm not quite Ooh. sure why John would think that, but the last time he said that was in 1980, the year the year he he died. Um, but he was still, but he believed that right up until uh, he was gone. That Paul actually wrote Hey Jude for him, but uh, but uh, Paul has something different to say Here's about that. Here's the
4: straight goods. So I was uh, driving out to John's house, but the, he and Cynthia had just got divorced, and I knew Cynthia and Julian, obviously the family. So I was going out. I think, just to say hello. The story ended up, I was going out to ask Cynthia to marry me, but that was a joke. And really, honestly. But no, I was just going out there to pay a visit and stuff, Uh, out of friendship. And on the way out, I got thinking about Julian's position in the divorce. And uh, was, and and thought in my mind, hey Jules, don't make it bad, take a sad song and make it better. Um, And then, for some reason, I changed it, maybe to not, you know, to protect the innocent. Just, hey, Jude. Jude just seemed a harder name, a little
1: cooler name in a way. Well, there you go. That's, uh, you know, it was really, it's really kind of cool to imagine um, Paul hearing about John and Cynthia breaking up. And he knows that, you know, Julian will probably not be part of the picture as much as he was. He's saddened by that. He's going over to, uh, you know, to visit Uh, to give his well uh, to give his good wishes I would guess to Cynthia and to Julian Mm -hmm. and he's thinking of these lyrics that's fascinating and it's really sad it's a great story yeah for sure
0: have you got some more cool Beatle facts for us
1: well let's uh, I want to leave you with this one and that is that George Martin after they recorded Hey Jude said no radio station is going to play that song because it's seven minutes long no one's going to play it John Lennon said they will if it's us
0: Hey Jude don't make it bad. That was Cool Song Facts. Take Thank you, Tom. Coming up next on Famous Lost Words, a lost interview with a fascinating but sometimes forgotten member of one of the biggest bands of all time.
1: And don't forget, you can check out past episodes of Famous Lost Words on the iHeartRadio app. For example, the 2004 interview with Janet Jackson from just a few weeks after the Super Bowl, or a chat with Mick Jagger, or Peter Frampton, all that and much more. So, Christopher, you, um... You told me the other day we were going to run some clips of Carl Wilson. I'm mm-hmm. going, huh. Well, okay, how interesting is that going to be? Like, what 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 can <laughs> what does the late Carl Wilson have to say that's of interest? And then I heard the clips, and I just went, this is just great. This is great stuff. And uh, like I said earlier in the show, there's a certain... You know these clips are kind of tinged with tragedy, just because you know that he's gone. He died at a young Mm -hmm. age, and uh, but what he had to say was uh, was just you know
0: very powerful and uh, and really interesting and excellent. He's a very thoughtful guy. There's a a extremely subdued quality to him, and it's in such great contrast to the sunniness of their music. But that that often happens. Mm -hmm. This goes back to 1986, and this is you interviewing him. Is that Mm -hmm. correct? Yeah, this goes back to '86. Um, the Beach Boys were celebrating their 25th anniversary as a band with a compilation album and a tour. So Carl Wilson, the youngest brother and the band's lead guitarist, came in for an interview. Um, I asked him about the band's creative peak, and he answered it, but then he kind of shifted it over to their peak as a road band.
6: Well, in some ways, that late 60s, early 70s was our creative peak. Uh, I know many consider Brian's peaked to be Pet Sounds. Mm-hmm. And that was recorded or released right around 66.
0: Right. Uh,
6: yet, we we focused more on the roads starting in the... We really really got into it in the early 70s and really became a great road band at that time. And that's when we were always uh, uh, in the Rolling Stone pole you know, of the live bands. And, and that time is when we really started to to really love that a lot and do it. And so there, it, our development has been really, it's been a real, I don't know how you say it, real slow arc,
1: <laughs> which is really lucky for us because we love doing this a lot. That's great. You know, I do remember that in some ways the Beach Boys were very respected, although I think the respect came quite a number of years later when people really reflect on some of those albums, like Pet Sounds and, and Latter Day, mm-hmm. Brian Wilson influenced Beach Boys music. But boy, oh boy, did they take off in the '70s with their touring, and they came to the CNE, yep. and they came to a lot of you know festivals you in Canada. Have one of those shows, yeah, and it, they were just huge events, and everybody knew the songs, and everybody had that double album, "Endless Summer" uh, album, that collection of greatest hits. And then sometime, it was many years later that I discovered the true beauty of some of those songs, like "God Only Knows" and and um, and "Good Vibrations," and the depth of of how much went into those. Oh, uh, the
0: musicality behind yes, those, for sure. But also, there was a time that, that for me was their creative peak, and it was around the albums Holland mm-hmm. and Surf's Up, which were very sort of philosophical albums. Yeah. It, it, Surf's Up is almost a misnomer, because right. you think, oh, it's going to be about uh, surfing and girls and cars and stuff, but it's, it's not. It's about the ecology, and it's a, a very thoughtful record, beautifully produced. So Brian, uh, of course, famously became a recluse and mm-hmm. stayed in his sandbox for a number of years. Um, And Carl at the time, lesser known, assumed more of a leadership role musically. Because in those days, you know, Brian used to get session players in L.A. The Wrecking Crew played on all those records, but Carl Wilson accompanied on guitar. So his parts are signature to some of those records. And um, I asked him about his famous older brother. He did sort of veer into a little bit of controversial territory for Beach Boy fans. Is Brian Turing with you?
6: No, he's not. And we, which... He was here very much, and I know he does too. And he's uh, with the wacky Mister Landy. You know, he's he really controls his his uh, time um, very thoroughly. And I don't know really what he's doing. I think he's they're they're developing a record. I know he made a a record deal with Sire. And uh, Brian did. Uh-huh, Brian did. uh-huh. and I met uh, Seymour Stein. Mm-hmm. Nice fella. Yeah. Yeah. Seems really committed to what he's doing, which is...
0: Well, he's nice and I'm glad remark- to see
6: Brian in, the, in that setting. But it's difficult for us because we, we don't uh, get to see him very much.
0: Does that mean mm-hmm. that he would then have a musical career separate from the Beach Boys?
6: Uh, well, I would hope so. In yeah. addition to, sure. yeah, take anything that uh, you know, would help him in his unfoldment it would be great.
0: When you say Mr. Landy, who's that?
6: Eugene Landy is a... Is, uh, is, uh, uh, showbiz shrink sort of manager uh, guy from L.A. Mm. And I I did say he was wacky, didn't I? Yes, you did. <laughs> okay. That probably says it all.
1: Mm.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> no. No, doesn't he? Even... Oh, man, you can tell he does not like Dr. Landy at all. He's trying oh. so hard, yes, to w- withhold his uh, yeah. Uh, contempt. Well, you know, and in hindsight, you know, Carl was 100% right. And, yeah. uh, you know, the best thing, uh, uh, you know, based on what I know about that story, the best thing Brian Wilson ever did was get away with from Dr. Landy. And he seems in a much uh, uh, better place right now. You have know? you seen so, any
0: of his uh, Pet Sound shows or anything? No. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, the, the guy that everyone wrote off is just amazing. I have one Beach Boy story for you. When I was at Live Aid in London... The crowd were pretty excited just to be there yeah. for the event. They were waiting for their favorites to come on stage. And they were beaming on the screen the performances from Philadelphia at the time. So you were in London for Live Aid. I was in London. So they were, you know, the crowd were really ignoring Madonna and all the other people that were <laughs> that were coming up on the screen. But when the Beach Boys came up, people stood up. They sang the songs. They locked arms. They were doing like coordinated dancing wow. in the stands. It, it was, it was amazing. Wow, the, the durability of that music.
1: You know, we are going to do an entire episode of you, at Live Aid, one of these times. Because there's so much to tell. You've dedicated an entire chapter of your book to it. And I love the stories that you tell. Um, I love how you guys kind of finagled your way even into live aid. <laughs> yeah. uh, because even though much music was a big deal over here, on a worldwide stage, it wasn't... It was wasn't... Who? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> okay, every once in a while, we put the spotlight on one of the biggest songs of all time. This song is from 1981, but this is Phil Collins from the mid-90s looking back on the meaning behind his big hit "In the Air Tonight."
7: Well, that's an interesting song because every time I come to through North America, you know, um, Canada, I always get the stories that of you know what the song is about. I mean, once a day probably. Can you tell me what "In the Air Tonight" is about? Because I've heard that
4: I'm you, going with no preconceptions here, yeah. so I'll let you pick know. it <laughs>
7: Well, I I keep hearing this story, and it it gets, it's like Chinese whispers, it gets a little bit more elaborate each time I come back to the States or Canada, you know. Um, Is it true that you heard, that you saw someone drowning, and you saw someone witnessing this that didn't help, and you found this person, and invited him to a show, shone the spotlight on him, and sang in the air tonight? That's the story. And that is such a bizarre thing to think up. I mean, who e- ever thought this up? I can, I can understand someone saying, well, did you actually witness someone drowning and you didn't do anything to help? Because that's kind of the, literally the lyrics. Yeah. But uh, you know, all the stuff about inviting him to the show. And, you know, anyway, the song, um, I don't know what the song's about because uh, the lyrics to that song were spontaneous. They came out, what you hear, the lyrics that you hear me singing on that song are, are what happened when I opened my mouth and recorded it on my demo. I was going through my first marriage thing and I think that probably there's a, there's definitely, a, it's an angry, bitter song, the lyrics are, uh, as opposed to a sad song. So it's probably subconsciously a, a lot of that anger and, and bitterness and, and, and stuff, although I was the one that was kind of being hurt, if you like, although there's no, everyone's hurt in a relationship like that, but you know, I don't know. I remember, what I remember doing was, uh, I had a few keyboards up in my studio at the time and a, and a drum machine and an 8-track an demo machine, you know, like record, tape recorder. And um, all my demos have really been my masters, I've, I've use them as my masters on all my records, including the new one. But I remember just setting this drum machine pattern up, which I thought was kind of interesting, and, uh, and getting a nice sound on my Profit old analog synthesizer, just getting three chords that sounded nice, which are the three chords in the, in the tune. And straight away after I did that, which was basically just improvised, just to sort of—I was half of it was writing the song, and the other half was just trying to actually record it, just to see the meters move. And then I started singing, and the lyrics, as I said, were the ones you hear. So it was kind of very, very accidental. And considering that it's become, in a way, um, the song that everyone knows from me it's kind of strange to think that something that was so accidental yeah. becomes so pivotal you know, or so important in your life. Great stuff from Phil
0: Collins. You know, we have a lot more from that Phil Collins interview which we will play in coming weeks. That does it for another episode of Famous Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward with Tom Jokic. Special thanks to our producer Adam Karsh. Thank you, Adam. Tell your friends that they can hear every episode of Famous Lost Words on the iHeartRadio app.